Hey guys, I got a special episode for you today. Um, I honestly just have a, a friend of mine that I'm so excited to have here in the studio with me today. Uh, his name is Pastor Graham Cathers. And so um, uh, basically, I, I'm going to jump right into the interview because I, I really want to uh, hear some of the things he has to say. He's just such a uh, super cool influence, I think, in, in the kingdom and has been in my life. And uh, uh, I, I want to I let him pour into you for a minute. So I'm going to talk to him about some church planning stuff, about his ministry, uh, about his thoughts you know, on, on other stuff church-related. So uh, uh, be ready for some great words, some great nuggets of wisdom. Here we go. Well, I guess uh, without any further ado, Pastor Graham, I'm going to introduce you. Here's the Pastor Graham Cathers. So excited to have you in studio today. Well, that's awesome. That was quite the intro. Quite the but, intro, uh, yeah. yeah. We, we build you up around here, yeah. man. That's, that's always our, uh, our intent. You well, know, the studio but. audience just has been great here today. I've, I've they're just, they're <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love the laugh track, you know. There was like... I, I read an article like years ago about how just hearing the sound of laughter will make people laugh. It causes you to, it's yeah. almost like a therapy kind of a thing. You know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. But doesn't it say in the Bible, a merry heart does good like ah, medicine? Yeah, so. shoot, you got to go biblical, you, you know, got to, Pastor Graham. But it's there. It's there. <laughs> no, but hey, thank you for those I, kind words. And I I'm appreciate all for you, Pastor AJ, and all that you're doing, man. Just uh, consider you to be a great man of God and just a good friend. So, Well, thank you so much. Honored to be with you today. Yeah. Honored to have you on the studio. So, um, yeah, so if you don't know, we actually partner with uh, other missionaries, basically. And Pastor Graham is one of those uh, missionaries. He's involved in a, um, I, I don't want to say it. it's not a church plant. It's a, a gospel movement. Yeah. Am, am I using the right terminology? Uh, the, the actual term that's used today is called disciple-making movement. Okay, okay. And there are uh, literally thousands of uh, DMMs. That's the shorter version. Okay. Because uh, it's a mouthful. There's yeah. thousands of them happening. I like it. It's good. Uh, no. Yeah, all over the planet. And the way they define, and, and there's a few different definitions. So I'll give you one yeah. that, that, that we know of is um, the way that, that we define uh, a disciple-making movement is it's a minimum of uh, 1,000 baptisms okay. with 100 new churches wow. that goes four generations deep. So yeah. what I mean by that is, for instance, if you and I, Pastor AJ, just popped out here into Poland, Ohio, and said, we're going to plant a church, we would be a zero generation. Okay. And the idea is that you and I would reach... Uh, some people, they would come to faith, and yeah. then they would turn around and plant a church. Okay. And then they would reach people who would turn around and plant a church. And so that's when we're saying that a movement, it has these 100 churches, but they're four generations deep. Okay. So you see that there's this multiplication going on. And that's just part of the DNA of uh, disciple-making movements, which, you know, we can look all over the world and see them. And they're coming, you know, they're coming to America as well. Yeah. Um, when you first said generation zero, I thought maybe you meant, uh, like this is the next, the next generation after Gen Z, you know, we don't have any expectations for them. No, <laughs> no, no, not at all. But when you go to Z, you got to start over somewhere. You got to so start over somewhere. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it could, maybe it could fit. I don't know. But I, I like at 2000, did, did you say 2000? Was it 1000 or 2000 baptisms? That's a thousand baptisms with a minimum of a thousand baptisms. Wow. 
with a hundred new churches. Okay, and so these Holy are simple cow. churches. So, so, so this is a yeah. th- this is not just church planning. I mean, this is like big. The, the scope and the scale of this is like this yeah. is like cultural transformation, which so, I love. I'm passionate about. It. I think that's awesome. But I mean, this is this is a lot bigger than just going to plant a church. Yeah, it's 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 a very different premise. Um, it originally was called uh, CPM or church planning uh, movements. Okay, um, but the realization kind of hit is that sort of getting the cart before the horse. So in today's world, and of course, I think there's a lot of models, just so you know up front, I am a fan of anybody yeah. who is following Jesus yeah. and whatever Amen, he's leading brother. them to do and how they're doing it. But typically the we're, model... For we're church, pro-church around here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The typical model would be that we would plant a church and we'd develop a team and then try to gather in and make disciples as a result of that church plant, which is you know obviously the, the model that I worked with for years and years. Um, but the disciple making movement is sort of like, it sort of flips that, um, in this way, instead of planting a church, you just go out and you make disciples. Hmm. And as those disciples make disciples, they have to have a place to gather. And as they gather, well, we know that the word ecclesia literally translate as, translate as hmm. it translates as an assembly or a gathering. And so people need a church. Yeah. They need a spiritual family that's on mission with God, Right. And so they need that. And so as you're making these disciples, they're going to need a spiritual family, a church. And so churches emerge out of Interesting. the fact that you're going after uh, yeah. making disciples. So it's, I, I'm almost yeah. thinking about like the book of Acts and you, you know how in, basically there you see the apostle Paul going, you see, you know, Timothy, you see yeah. the early church, they're sort of going out. They're, they're not just being local, they're going out and they're you know, sort of taking territory, so yeah. to speak. But uh, I mean... And I know that you've talked before uh, in our conversations about gift, spiritual gifting and things yeah. like that. And I'm almost wondering, like, how does some of that fit into what you're saying? Oh. Because, um, you know, you can see, yes, there's definitely a calling for, like, the pastor teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've heard you talk about, you know, the, yeah. the apostolic calling. Um, uh, there's evangelists. There, you know, there, so there's different, um, there's different giftings in the church. But, yeah. I mean, I, I think I see... Maybe a part that is sometimes lacking in church administration in terms of what you're describing here, because this is, I think this is bigger than just building a church, a multi-campus church. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, thank God that the needle in, you know, because obviously a lot of the people that I rub shoulders with now, I mean, they kind of work in the nations, but, and I have, I have a desire to see the nations touched, but I also care very deeply about America and seeing God move here. Yeah. And I know you do too. Amen. And uh, so, you know, part of what what I know is that there's some great organizations that are moving the needle to get churches thinking about planting more churches. But as we stand here right now uh, in America, 93% of the churches in existence in North America will never, ever add another campus or plant another church. Holy cow. So that means only 7% of them actually even have a vision to do that. Yeah. And well, so, I, I just think of the model in general of, of of what that looks like when we talk about church planting and you know and, and being somebody who's led a church. Yeah. Um, I know we were talking a little bit before we began here about church revitalization. I'd actually like yeah. to hear you comment on that. Uh, but uh, you know, like the model of of church growth, I, I think you said before that in terms of a dollar amount mm-hmm. of what it costs to baptize one person. Yeah. In in America. Yeah. If you actually quantify that. 
it's astronomical. Yeah, uh, you know. and and you're referring to um, there was a book. Um, I I can't think of his name. We could certainly Google it, but um, he's a guy who actually pastors a very large church himself. His dad was a pastor of a mega church, uh, I think, in Michigan. Uh, but he was an award-winning journalist for over a decade with like MSNBC or whoever, mm-hmm. and then felt the call of God to go back to seminary and study and become a pastor. And as he was on that journey, he began to just kind of take a look at the church in general and its health. And so he wrote a book that actually is used in a lot of seminaries today. It's called The Great Evangelical Recession. Hmm. And so in this, what he does is he takes probably the first half of the book to sort of he uses the analogy of a dashboard on a car. Like okay. You can ignore the dashboard <laughs> at your own peril. Like yeah. if the gas yeah. tank is starting to read, you know. Been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> and he uses that analogy with churches. And he said that, you know, if we're just honest with ourselves about where we are, and again, you might have a phenomenal church that you go to, but yeah. I'm talking about the church in general. Um, you know, that in America, typically uh, a baptism is runs around $1.5 million. Holy cow. Yeah. Wow. It's $1.5 In other words, that's how much money flows into a church that produces one baptism. So yeah, let's just say that, that church is, takes uh, in, let's wow. say their annual budget is, is a million and a half in a year, yeah. and they're only baptizing one person. Well, and it, yeah, if, if you just, yeah. I'm just thinking of the scale and the scope, and, and in terms of what you're talking about, because this to me is what's missing in uh, American Christianity is cultural transformation. And, and I feel like a lot of it is rules that either culture has put on us or church has put on us or, or well-meaning Christians. I mean, even we yeah. put on ourselves cause I been there, done that. I'm a, mm-hmm. sometimes I, I want to be the nice guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just went through and I preached a whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was a podcast, my new pulpit. It's yeah. the podcast. It's a great pulpit. But, <laughs> thank you. But, uh, you know, so I just preached this series called mean Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and the point wasn't to show Jesus was mean. The point was to show that Jesus went to jail. It was mm-hmm. to show that these people were, were, cultural pushers so to speak they were driving into culture you know right 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 into the Mm. teeth of it uh paul you know the whole early church i mean a lot of these people they were going through uh things that um like they were jailed they were persecuted because of 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 their style of christianity what they were doing And, and my point in saying that is just that not hey go out there and you know get arrested it's that like they had cultural transformation as their goal and and that's yeah. when I hear you talk, I get excited because I think that's what you're talking about, and that's what the church should be about. Well, it it really is a kingdom, isn't it? And uh, this kingdom and the gospel, if you think about it, like if we look at, you know, probably the most famous parable, right? Uh, the parable of the farmer or the sower. Yeah. You know, if you came up in the King James era. Yeah. And and but what does he talk about the potential? <laughs> today? They got the Queen James. I think that's one of the. <laughs> Do they really? Okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we won't go there. Um, (laughs) That's another podcast. But they've, you know, you look at the the potential of the seed on good ground is 30, 60, and 100 fold. Yeah. So really this gospel of the kingdom was designed to be viral in its (sighs) movement. And then when you look at, so there's a couple of thoughts I have for you here. Um, You know, you can look at the early church and see that it was in fact a viral church. It went viral. I love that. I just, I love that analogy, the viral church. Yeah. I mean, isn't that, that, that would be, <laughs> I mean, think about, that think, could be a book. That, yeah. That's your book right there. <laughs> well, it, it, when you look at the multiplication of, you know, they start in, in Jerusalem with like zero 
believers, and then you have that room full of 120, the Holy Spirit falls. The first sermon, we have 3,000 baptisms, right? Because yeah. water baptism was their equivalent of a, a, our altar call. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then we have another occasion when there's 5,000. Um, and we know that, you know, it says they met in the temple, right? And from house to house. Well, meeting from house to house was a necessity because when you look at the temple, the temple could only handle about 400 people at one time. So if you're the apostles and you're teaching constantly and you have 8,000 converts at a minimum, we know there's probably more. They can't all be there at the same time. Yeah. So they're learning how to take this house to house and really everywhere they go. And so it becomes this viral movement. And, um, you know, we see this in, in the first several hundred years of church history. Hmm. We see the viral component of it. And then we see history change. And I don't really want to go into the weeds of history because that's a whole other conversation that yeah, I yeah. do care about. But I do, I do think that, you know, Constantine in, you know, 300-whatever A.D., sort of stamping Christianity as the state religion. Like, I'm sure if you were a Christian that had been persecuted up to then, you'd be going, thank God, yeah, you know, I'm yeah. not, I can come above the ground, right? But at the same time, we saw the church become polluted in many ways, and that, that ends up going on yeah. for hundreds, uh, over a thousand years, and then you have the Reformation, and there's a challenge to some of these, you know, errant things that have happened. Um, but... When we come back, it, to it's it, almost like we've gone back to that culturally. Doesn't it seem like that? I mean, like what's happening is that it's almost like the church is being, you know, going back to that kind of church. Like that's what's successful. Well, or what, what has the potential to be successful? Yeah, I mean, when I think about the church, Jesus Himself said the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And you and I are the church sitting here today. Yeah, you know, when we gather. Uh, you go to the same church that, that I was part of out here in this area. When we gather there this weekend, we're the church. When we gather in, a, in at Starbucks, we're the church. Um, but I look at um, I look at the church in China, right? So the communists took power in China, we know, in the 40s. And I'm not a historian, so uh, if you fact check me and you say, well, it was 1939, I will I'm always with impressed with your knowledge, yeah. so I don't think anybody's going to yeah, criticize yeah, you for I'm one I'm sure year. one of my right. sons could tell me I'm wrong, but but you get the point. Mouse you're a student. You're a, yeah. And that, that's one of the things that impresses me about you is you're continually learning. I mean, I'll, honestly, you know, I went on with a continuing ed- education, but I mean, you're you literally take it upon well, yourself. You're, you've, you're constantly teaching me things when I mm-hmm. am with you, you know? Well... That you're reading you're, you're or studying, a sharp guy too. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I I am because well, the thing is, is that if we're if we're if he's the vine and we're the branches, shouldn't there be continued pruning? Yeah. Shouldn't there be continued growth in our life? And I think that um, what scares me is becoming stagnant. What scares mm. me is losing my fire and my passion for Jesus. And I think that can happen to anyone because I think one of the things that I, I you know I have a particular coach myself that's helping me with movements and. Um, he's a Midwest guy, and his life message is, you know, um, you know, take up your cross, mm-hmm. and 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 you have to be willing to lay down your life. And and he says that we want to see movements and we want to see revival with the least amount of suffering and pain. We want it to come in a very comfortable way. Yeah, we don't want to sometimes lay down our life for it. And so he challenges me, and and I'm thinking about, you know, Mao Zedong comes into power. And basically, you know, proclaims there is no God and destroys the church in China, which at that time, to our knowledge, numbered about 2 million people. Wow. My now, my source for this is Alan Hirsch, who's, okay. who's done a lot of academic work on this. But he crushed the church. I mean, 
you as a as as a person with a uh, doctor of divinity, which you have, yeah. you would have been executed. Uh, a lot of pastors oh. were put in re-education camps. The church was bring it on, was, baby. I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, it was ground <laughs> into the to the dust, and they took away their buildings, they took away their money, they took away their education. Yeah. Now fast forward. What happens about six decades later? We see a church under the direction and guidance of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about a perfect church, but we see a church that in we China. Call, in China, yeah. we call the underground church, right? It has to be underground <clears throat> to survive. And a lot of it's, I mean, house churches too, right? It Isn't is. that a big part of what they do? There, there's, there's leaders of, you know, three and 400,000 people, and you and I have never heard their names. Yeah. Because if we heard their names, <laughs> they'd be dead. We're going to know them in heaven. Well, we will. <laughs> At the resurrection, you know. But here's the point. They'll be in front of us. Yeah. Here's the point, that... that about 10 years ago, when they when they tried to put a number on it, which is hard to do, they estimated the number of Christians in China to be about 120 million. Wow. How does that happen without... Holy How does cow. that happen without uh, all the income, all yeah. the buildings, all the yeah. seminaries? <laughs> how does that happen how did, without... How did the early church do it, yeah. right? I mean, how did they do it when they were being persecuted? And, and you actually see, I, I, it's one of the most interesting statements in the book of Acts, is that, you know, that they were, sp- they were pushed out because of the persecution, and they went as far as Antioch, it says, where there was a huge revival... And that became Paul's hub and Barnabas that launched him into this uh, all his missionary journeys that we get all, all of our letters. Yeah. The, like the, basically our New Testament Bible mm-hmm. comes from this persecution yeah. and, and the revival that took place because of it. Yeah, and they're, they're a living example of that. And I would also say this too, that you, know, you have a son, and when your son was born, he was a baby, but everything that your son needed to become a man, he was eventually going to grow into it. Like his body had genetically put into it everything that mm. he needs, right? So in China, I think what happens is, you know, the church goes underground, but guess what? When the Spirit of God has, when those people are born of God and they're coming together and meeting secretly, whatever, yeah, they're becoming these local churches, right, if you will. They might be smaller than us. They might be invisible in many ways. But that body, according to what Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 12, has everything it needs right there. That within that body are the giftings, and mm. in that body, what's going? It might be in an embryonic state. That's incredible. What's going to happen is leadership is going to emerge. You're yeah. going to see elders emerge. Yeah. You're going to see the apest. By yeah. apest, I'm referring to Ephesians four eleven and twelve. He gave some to be apostles, prophets. Evangelists, okay, pastors, that's the gifting right there. Yeah. Okay. For the so, equipping of the saints. For yeah. The work of the ministry. So that emerges too. And yeah. So you have all that emerging. And, and you see, so you see this, the, these different gifts at work. You know, you see your own giftedness in this. Uh, and I know, you know, you're a pastor of many years. You know, mm-hmm. a, a for, of a formal traditional church. Uh, we've had conversations too about yeah. traditional ministry. This is a little bit of an untraditional ministry. What yeah. I'm doing here. Sure. Um, and, and maybe more so too, at least traditional in terms of what we've come to understand as ministry, uh, yours is a little maybe non-traditional in terms of what people understand as ministry, but it's really much more traditional in terms of what the Bible is and the examples we see there. Could you like, um, could, I mean, tell us a little bit about your, the organization, the name and, and maybe how... Uh, people could get connected with you or see what right. you're doing, or maybe someone out there wants to be a part of it and, mm-hmm. and they're getting excited. Sure. So um, what I'm doing right now in in Phoenix, um, we have something just called the Phoenix Underground. Uh, we pay homage to the, to the Underground Church. Okay. And it's just phxunderground.org, just phoenixunderground.org. And um, 
you know, and, and that's just a label, honestly. And, and our vision there is just to see Phoenix saturated with the gospel of the kingdom, to see those over 5 million people have an opportunity to hear the good news. And for that to happen, that's going to take every single church, but that's going to take every single believer in that valley, honestly, being sent into the harvest. Yeah. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is just sort of like equip people to get launched. And so what we try to help them do is our, our focus is this. Our job is to help you be on mission with God. We want you to be a mission catalyst mm. in your oikos, that network, that group of people that God has given you. We want you to be salt and light right there. And we want to equip you in a way that you say, hey, I, maybe I don't have a degree. Maybe I haven't gone to seminary. That's okay. We're going to put the tools in your hand to help you be able to take the gospel of this kingdom. Because honestly, it's it's not complex. It's simple. I'm not saying that it's not deep, but I'm saying Jesus never meant for it to be so complex that yeah. we would take it out of the hands of the every everyday ordinary believers. Mm. And when I think a lot about what we're doing, you say, you know, so we're there. I have some some folks that I work with in Southern California where I used to pastor. We also have a couple that we've sent out. Um, they're from Mexico originally. They came and spent time with us, and they've been sent back to Mexico. They're in the Yucatan Peninsula, and they're working with the Mayan people. And you have spent time with them, right? Yeah, Correct, because yeah. I've, I've seen pictures. Yeah, I got to be down there in May. And um, I mean, we've this couple, Fernando and Eli Campos, they've only been there probably a year, currently have three Mayan villages that have opened up to us, representing about 3,500 people. Um, God has given them persons of peace, people that are literally key leaders in those communities that have opened their doors wide. And so we're just looking at, we would, our vision there is to see those 100 Mayan villages in the Mayan, wow. uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, have an opportunity to hear the gospel of the kingdom because they have yeah. syncretism, they have some ancient beliefs mixed in with them, you know, some Catholicism and everything else. Yeah. But can I say one thing? You know, when you're talking about this being like sort of non traditional, I think, and this is what I think that has happened recently, AJ, is like the you know, what I came up under, we did believe in both of us. I mean, yeah, yeah, very much similar. Yeah. Well, we believed in the Apest. We believed in the existence of apostles, not capital A apostles. There's never going to be 12 apostles of the Lamb. There's yeah. never going to be 12 more of those. But Jesus is still giving gifts, and there's still apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, right? So they're out there. We need those leadership gifts, and we need all those voices if we want to really be healthy. Like, every voice there is important. But, you know, we've we've been led primarily, and I don't say this because I've been there, we've been led primarily by shepherds and teachers, and that's the title that most of us go by. Um, and yet I can only find the word pastor one time in the Bible. Mm. You know, I can only find the word teacher, yeah. I don't know, 20, 30 times. Yeah, I'm not giving you exacts here because I don't have my notes in front of me. But you can find the word apostle over 70 times. You mm. can find prophet over 100 times. Yeah. So it's, and, it's and, not and people, that there's one that's more important than the other. It's just that sometimes we've emphasized some more than yeah, others. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and then there, I, I think, too, how uh, there, I mean, there's whole segments of the church, and maybe somebody who's listening to this is, you know, maybe Presbyterian or, or yeah. whatever, you know, Lutheran or something, and, and, and more of a, of a cessationist where you're mm -hmm. seeing that there's this disconnect. Yeah. Um, I personally came away from that mm -hmm. understanding uh, in large part because of what you're talking about. I yeah. mean, I feel like this stuff is expressed in the Bible, uh, if we are people of of the book of the Bible mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. see it, 
uh, I, you know, it, I don't feel like it's our place to say certain gifts have gone away. I, I honestly, I don't even think we can definitively make a statement like that. That just seems like yeah. such a uh, you'd have to have a godlike understanding and and omniscient perspective globally yeah. throughout all time and all ages to even make a definitive statement well, that something has ceased. I would agree, and and I wholeheartedly agree with you. I also have a belief that whether people believe in them or not, they have always existed. Like if yeah. I was to give you. Graham, who do you That's think, a good point. Who do you think one of the most uh, outstanding apostles of all time is? I mean, you'd, of course, go to the Bible, and you could pick out Peter and Paul and, and John yeah. and these guys. But in a modern sense, I would say, wow, probably to me, uh, John Wesley. Hmm. And what John Wesley did with the Methodist Church is very, very similar to what we're endeavoring to do today. Yeah. So think about it. John Wesley comes to the Americas— you know, as not even, he's a seeker of God, but until he has this encounter with the Moravians as he's traveling, he really doesn't even have what you and I would call a born-again experience. He doesn't really know whether or not he's absolutely confidently saved. He's Anglican. But because of his encounter with the Moravians and what he saw in them, he comes into this experience that you and I would call the new birth. And it radically changes his ministry. Now, he goes back to England, and we know that the Methodist revival hits England. And England is in bad shape. I mean, there's just just debauchery and alcoholism, and it's, it's horrid. And they begin to sweep through the British Isles, and it takes off. But now, all of a sudden, the Methodists come back to America and start planting churches. So here's the thing. I, I don't have the exact date on this, but we know John Wesley came to the Americas in the 1700s. Alongside him were great preacher, uh, preachers like uh, George Whitfield, yeah, an outstanding preacher, right? We know that this guy could move mass crowds, uh, crowds of thousands of people. He was a great orator and speaker, and I'm sure what we, you and I would call, or in my circles, we would have called a very anointed preacher, right? That's who he would have been. John Wesley, on the other hand, wasn't exactly moving, but he was a great student. But you know what he had? He had this passion to empower people. And so he set up these systems or these methods, if you will. Yeah. And his methods uh, were to take these, you know, blacksmiths and farmers, put them into a three-month three month boot camp, give them a, uh, a number of sermons that they would then internalize, and then they would become circuit riders. We know about that. And, and this is Methodism, right? I mean, yes, isn't this, it's, it's his method, yeah, that, so, that there's a method to what he was doing there. Right, yeah, so they yeah. would go from town like to town, process. and they would, go, they would go and win some converts, and they would establish these, these small churches. And um, basically, this itinerant preacher would come back through that town once a month. Mm. In the meantime, these people would have prayer meetings, Sunday meetings without the preacher there. And then they also had uh, disciple groups or study groups that always consisted of 12 people. And those 12 people would come together every week to pray, to repent, confess, ask each other how they were doing with Jesus, how they were progressing in their spiritual life. So these classes, I believe is what he called them, was a component. So he basically built a discipleship process into his, what, what he was doing. And so we know that in roughly... By 1850, here's what we know. By 1850, 34% of all Americans called themselves Methodists. Wow. That is, Did you just say 34%? 34%. Holy cow. That's, and that's incredible. That's viral growth. So I, I don't think anybody's going to criticize your, uh, you know, your, your knowledge. I, honestly, I, I feel like I'm sitting with a professor. No, no, no. You're, you're, 
I did get it. I did get it from a professor, but I I, I like it. Uh, but, it. You've got that feel about you. Well, what what intrigues me about that is is to see how viral it's going. And do you know when? Do you know they actually can chronicle when that viral growth stopped in the Methodist Church? It was in fact in 1850. That's really they can. I mean, they can get that precise with it. They can. What happened in eighteen fifty? Professors that have studied the history of that. They let the deacon board have control. No, I'll tell you what happened. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that happened once or twice. But what happened was the uh, leadership of the Methodist Church were constantly kind of mocked and put down by the Anglicans and the Episcopalians. And they would mock them and say, your preachers and pastors are ignorant. We speak Hebrew. We speak Greek. Oh, here we, we speak go. Latin. Yep. And yep. they're not educated. They're, right, they're, right. they're ignorant. They're unlearned. They're yeah. not educated. And so they got tired of being mocked. And so they said, okay, in 1850, they made a decision. We're no longer, we're, we're stopping the three-month boot camps. Oh, my goodness. To release these wow. pastors. And from now on, if you're going to be a pastor in the Methodist Church, you have to have a bachelor's degree. Well, that may not sound like much today because a lot of people have a bachelor's today, but I'll tell you what, in 1850, not everybody did. Yeah. And so they literally can point I to could, that. I could totally see it. Yeah. As somebody who went through seminary, mm-hmm. and I honestly went to a wonderful seminary, very thankful yeah. for Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Pittsburgh, uh, studious people. I mean, I was yeah. very impressed with them. Great experience for me. Uh, spirit-filled people. Um, but uh, I, I can see how that academia, it just... There's something about it. As somebody who's gone through it, I currently attend mm-hmm. church that I love, Believer's yeah. Church. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's a very um, um, it's a great church. It's a great church, it, and it's 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 very. Um, I'm trying to think of the right terminology, and I don't want to say the wrong terminology. Yet, but it's it's just very uh, it's very um, contemporary. Mm-hmm. Got contemporary worship. Um, to me, that style of church, that non-denominational church, kind of is doing a lot of that kind of thing today. Yeah, and and in that kind of church, you don't often see like those doctoral degrees. Those, to me, which is ironic because speaking from somebody who has a doctoral degree, yeah, my degree has pushed me to want to do stuff like this, like this podcast, which is a non-traditional ministry platform. I could go and I could have a church somewhere. And I could have my pension, and I could do my thing. I've got all all the correct paperwork yeah, sure. to do that. I don't feel like, and again, this isn't putting anybody down. It, this yeah. is I could do a whole po- podcast on myself, like in terms of like just where I'm at in terms of ministry and stuff. But like, not I'm not ruling anything out either. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying this is so effective, and I think that that style of ministry, that sort of boots on the ground kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know, I, th- I think that's where you see at least in my view of things where you see a lot of those style of churches like the one I attend, I feel like those are the kind of things they're doing. They're doing it without the yeah. degrees. They're doing it without the, you know, God's, God's blessing it. And those are the ones people want to bring their friends right. to church there and to those kind of places. And I would say myself and the church you're referring to definitely not against education. I've put a lot of money into my kids' education. Yeah. Uh, Southeastern university has, uh, I think that, Believers is an extension of that yep. uh, university yeah. now. So we're not against that. Yeah. But I remember years ago, Dr. Jack Hayford, who had a seminary, King Seminary at his church, which is now in Texas. My wife went to that seminary for a while. And uh, I remember him saying, he said, you know, I work with pastors all over. And he said, uh, you know, whatever his term was for successful, he said 51% of the successful pastors have never been to seminary. 
But he goes, and he goes, and I wish it was different. He goes, but the other and, half, that and that half. says volumes, you know. Right. And I, I'm not, and again, somebody who's gone through it, I'm not poo pooing it at all. I, I almost feel like personally, to me, I think that the nature of seminary, what it is personally, I think it needs to change. I think there needs to be some things they add to it, maybe some things they take out. Yes, I look, study the Bible. We need to study, mm-hmm. you know, founding, you know, uh, fathers. We need to, to dig deep into history, yes. And, and I'd never tell anybody not to. I've gone through my own phases. But I do think that academic Christianity, um, it, it, at least in my opinion, it doesn't win these big battles culturally. You know, it, it's that's not it's it's those ground movements, the mm-hmm. early church stuff. It's the stuff that you're doing. You know, that, I, those are the things that change culture. Yeah, and this is kind of funny because the the whole reason that we're talking about these things isn't to really come against. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I, I did it. I, I yeah. you know, I've got my degree on the wall right there. Yeah, <laughs> and and I would say yeah. that some of the seminaries that I'm aware of are actively trying to pursue some of those changes. But yeah. I do think that anytime you have uh, your church or, you know, gathering designed in such a way that it does not equip, you know, and release the people that are there and put the ministry in their hands. Yeah. That's when you've got a professional clergy and then you've got people who are spectators. Yeah. Well, well, something happens with doctrine to to me, and I I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, Um, Actually, I wanted to get your perspective on a couple other things, but like when when doctrine, and, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about uh, core doctrines, essential mm-hmm. doctrines. I'm because doctrine is, is 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 essential. It's important. The Bible teaches that. Yeah. I'm. I have studied doctrine. It's ingrained in me. You know. So like, I, I get it. Mm. Um, but but some at, in some places that becomes sort of the gatekeeper. Yeah. To to the to the church to the faith, mm-hmm. and just something weird happens, and it, I think it it prevents it it becomes yeah. it stunts the growth um of of what churches can do culturally well i i think what happens is you know i mean i went to bible school and one of the verses that we would hear again and again and again was out of james i believe it's james one twenty two that says be doers of the word and not hearers only right of course we have the parable of the wise man you know who built his house upon the rock and yeah. the foolish man on the sand in other words they were both hearing the word of god one person actually put what he heard into practice, the other didn't. They both built a life, but the person who built his life out of obedience to Jesus, loving obedience to Jesus, that is a life that's going to stand yeah. against persecution, against trials and tribulation. The person who is just kind of hearing this stuff but never really doing anything with it, their life is built on sand. It's going to collapse. When the pressure comes, they'll yeah. just melt away, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think to me, what I see is that I think I, I've always, I, I have spent many years studying the Bible, and I have a love and a passion for that. But here's what I would say. There's discipleship that what is what I call content-based discipleship. And here's what I mean by that. We say, we're going to make disciples, and the way we're going to do that is we're going to teach them about holiness. And so we do a, a small group on holiness. And we take them through that, and maybe we spend eight weeks and at the end of eight weeks, the idea is that they have a better understanding of what that means. What does it mean to be for God to be holy? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for me to wow. be holy like him, right? Yeah. But nowhere in that process necessarily. Now, some people will automatically do this. You always have people that just do the word. 
but a lot of people don't. So if you don't build into your discipleship process, if you're only giving content, then here's what I think. Now that I know this, I'm ready for the next thing. I want to know more. And so to me, being a disciple just means having more and more and more and more and more knowledge. But loving (laughs) obedience-based discipleship means I'm going to hear what you're saying about holiness, and then you're going to help me say, okay, if this is true— what is God inviting me to do with this? What, yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Well, I think the the Hebrew word Shema, which mm-hmm. means to hear, to hear. When you yeah. hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It doesn't just mean to hear; it means to hear and obey. It's like you know when yeah. you say to your kid, Brilliant. you know, do you, do you yeah. hear me? Did you hear me to clean your room? You know, you're not, you're not wondering, do they hear you? You're you're, you're right. wanting them to do something with what they said. So like, and I think we all have those. Uh, even even churches that are heavy on the kind of stuff we're talking about still I, they'll say they'll say they'll say everything that we're saying but there's just something culturally yeah. that's still present there it's present in the clothes it's present in the in the structures it's present in in some of these you know these things and and I think to me a lot of that sort of Maybe we relate it to Constantinian Christianity, or mm-hmm. we relate it to this formal. Now the church is something. You know, it's yeah. a, it's a structure. It's a and, and 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 the church needs structure. God is a God of order, not of disorder. Right. But like, but but I think a lot of those things seem to me to push against what the the transformation God wants to bring into a culture. But but th- this is where I was getting at with this because um, I, I thought we were having a, a very interesting conversation before we began here about church revitalization and um I, what i'm wondering is how i, I sat under a, a church planter who uh, terry geiger he was the one who uh recruited tim keller to go um uh to pastor in manhattan yeah and he was responsible for like i don't know two or three hundred church plants in his tenure with the pca the presbyterian Amazing. church in america uh very mission-minded guy incredible man of god um, you know, sat under him for about a week and very sweet man, all of that stuff. He, he made a statement that just at the time made a lot of sense to me. He says, I'd rather do a church plant than a church revitalization any day. Yeah. But how much of, how much of what we are talking about now, you know, and, and, and just kind of getting back to, to what we originally began with, with, you know, what you're doing, you're, you're trying to, to really change culture. You're doing that foundational work to change, to transform an entire community and an entire yeah. generation. Um, that's just to me so different than the individual conversion style a lot of us seek through our church ministry and personal ministry. You know, yeah. I say that as as an evangelist too myself. Um, you know, how, how much of that is church culture, and why would you agree with that statement? And you know, based on maybe some of your experience, I know both yeah. of us came out of situations where we were doing that work of church revitalization. Yeah. Uh, why is that sometimes just um, maybe maybe unfruitful and energy that needs to be spent elsewhere? Why does church culture seem to so often reject the change that it needs uh, and that yeah. the culture around it needs at the same time? Yeah, I, there was an old saying when it came to church planning that it's it's easier to have a baby than to raise the dead, you know? And, and that was, a, you know, sort of saying it's hard to, to change a culture 
um, I probably don't even unless you're Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> I probably don't even recommend trying to do that. I think that um, you know, part of it is like if you want to have a movement, you you really a lot of it depends on your ability to raise up leaders. Mm. And so when you look at Second Timothy, I believe two two, I believe Paul says to Timothy, you know, commit this stuff to faithful people who will be able to teach others, right? So in that one verse, you have Paul, he's, you know, this one generation speaking to the next generation saying, you're the second generation. I want you to take and give this away to other leaders who will be faithful and capable of now giving it away to other leaders. So Mm. you have this mindset in Paul that says there's replication, there's multiplication going on always in my thinking that Paul was always thinking about, like, whatever I've given to you, you need to, you know, raise up other people who are faithful, right, and give it away and allow them to become these viral leaders. And so I think that what happens is you see um, very often people like your professor, uh, you know, he's going out there and and, and planting churches, um, but... Once those churches are planted, here's the question I have is like, are those churches, do they have that, do they have that DNA that says, I'm going to go and plant another church? So I'll give you an example. Um, And by the way, the whole obedience thing, if I could just go back one second for that, let me just read 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, we know that we've come to know God if we obey his commands. Hmm. If anyone says, I know him, but they don't do what God commands, then they're a liar and they're not telling the truth. But if anyone does obey God's word, then that person truly loves God. This is how we know we belong to him. Anyone who claims to belong to him must live as Jesus did. So obedience, Mm, loving obedience, based discipleship, not just content-based discipleship. All right, so back to your question, though. Um, I don't know if I'm answering it or just kind of going around here. The plane is circling, trying to figure out where to land this. But um, I think of... um, your professor who sounded like an amazing person. Yeah. And, but I also think of Ralph Moore. Okay. Who was a four score pastor. He's retired now for several years, but he's still active in helping other leaders plant. And, um, there's an organization called exponential, which is all about helping churches become motivated to plant more churches. And so when there's two brothers out of Naperville, the Ferguson brothers, and when they took over the leadership of that, they said, we want to move the needle because I think only 4% of the churches in North America at that time were actually ever going to plant another church outside of themselves. The rest of them were just going to live out a life cycle and then die. And so they've been able to move the needle some, I think up to 7% or more. And their goal is to get it even further. And they're doing a great job. But when they first started, they said, let's send out a team and let's look for some North American churches <clears throat> that have actually multiplied. And let's see, you know, what we can learn from those churches. And they wanted to find 50 churches that had done this. And honestly, after six months, <clears throat> his team came back and said, you know what? We've scoured the land and there's only one church in America <laughs> that's actually ever multiplied. Not surprising. Not added. Yeah. Because yeah. there are churches that have addition. Yeah. But multiplied, and it was Ralph Moore. And so uh. they said, well, Ralph, we've we've done the research on your church, and do you know how many churches that, that have come out of your work? And he said, well, I know that I personally planted three churches, 
and that I personally discipled 70 people and launched them into their own churches. Most of these people were working full-time jobs and past. Some of the churches were big. Some churches were mega churches, but most of them were probably 100, 150. And he said, so I've, I've planted three churches and discipled 70 others who've planted. And he said, but do you know how many churches? And he goes, well, I mean, obviously there's churches that have come out of those churches. And they said, well, we've done the genealogy chart on your, on your plants. Would you be shocked to know that you it's have be huge. close to 2,700 churches that Holy have come cow. out of Hope Chapel? Wow. He wow. said, I had no idea. Wow. Well, isn't that how viral works? Yeah. Where, where was COVID yeah. going? We have no idea where it's going. It's just going viral. Yeah. And when his whole thing was, he was all about empowering people to live out the gospel. Mm. And so I think it's possible. It's revolutionary, I think, because yeah. it's it's just, it, it's counterintuitive to, I think, what we learn culturally mm. about the way things are supposed to grow. Yeah. About what success looks like or supposed to look like. And it's really, I think, these terms are a lot of times defined by people mm-hmm. who have maybe been successful. Yeah. And they're trying to continue their model of, of what yeah. that looks like. Um, but it's not necessarily what the next big thing is going to be. You know, the next big thing is going to be, I think, stuff like you're talking about, stuff like yeah. Ralph, or what was his first name? Was it Ralph, Ralph Moore? Moore. Mm-hmm. And I know that you've mentioned books to me before uh, that he read. I don't know if you want to give any for our audience here. That you they know, could, I know uh, he's written five books. You can go to ralphmoore.net to okay. find his materials. Um, he's got some free materials as well. I've read all of his books. Great guy, a humble man. He works with a lot of different, you know, streams, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think, though, that, um, you know, I think that if your whole premise, so to my knowledge, uh, pre-COVID, I think there were either 103 or 109 churches in America that had 10,000 or more people in it, right? So those are really our ultimate mega churches, and those are the ones that we probably all see on TV. Yeah, yeah. But they don't represent the majority of churches in America, and I think that probably... What I would love to see happen in in the hearts of these leaders is like to just say, what would happen if we could just replicate ourselves? What would happen if we could multiply and to even catch a vision for that? Yeah. Um, You know, and I think that part of it is, you know, quite honestly, uh, Pastor AJ is, you know, some people are just going to have to see it modeled. Yeah. Uh, Because I think there's a lot of people I run into, and they're not even sure that it's possible in America. I think it is. I I, I agree. Yeah. I I have a friend in Western Michigan. We're here. We have to do something. We got to try. No, a guy that coaches me in Michigan, um, he's like yourself, a seminarian, um, you know, pastored in a reformed church. um, And he's been doing what I've been doing for about seven years. Okay. Um, uh, and, And he goes right now about six generations deep. And about forty simple churches. Wow, my goodness! So, and he's here in the Midwest. Yeah. So, I think it's possible, and I think that it's not. You know, we used to say it's not one or the other; it's mm-hmm. both and. Yeah. We need both and. Yeah, and that's something too. You know, I um, I am a, a lover of the church. I know you are too, and and the, the church is the bride of Christ. If if right. you that's that's what the church is. Whether it's established church, whether it's 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 the uh, you know, church in, in homes or it's, it's whatever, that's the church. That's, that's, uh, that's where God's spirit dwells. That's the temple yeah. of, of God and, and the agent of change in the world, you mm-hmm. know? So, I mean, even, um, the things that, that I say or, or see or feel that, you know, could, could change. Yeah. It's coming from, and I hope everybody in my audience understands this as well. It's coming from a place of wanting to see the church be mm-hmm. exceedingly more fruitful, mm-hmm. uh, 
seeing things that I would give us just much greater footing culturally uh, to produce some of the things that God wants us to. And, and also, to be honest, just having a big vision for what God wants to do in the world. And I, I see that in your ministry and, uh, you know, in can, the way you talk. Can I share one last story here? Please do. Um, I had the privilege um, a month ago to have um, a couple in my home, and they were guests of my my partners in ministry out in Phoenix. They were staying at their house, but they came over and uh, swam at our house, brought their five kids. Um, and this guy's name is Aichi, and his wife's name is Sega, not like Sega, not like the game. A, <laughs> yeah, so Sega. But they're they're um, they're leaders of a movement in Ethiopia, and they've been doing it about fifteen years. Now Ethiopia right now is in a civil war, so it's very dangerous. <laughs> but um, one of the things I appreciate about this this couple, so humble, but you know they have currently they have about seventeen hundred simple churches. They see two new churches. Did, did you just say 1,700? 1,700. Well, <laughs> what? Like, yeah. They, <laughs> I just had my first video with seventeen or uh, <laughs> with 1,000 views, 1,700 yeah. churches. Well, they've been doing it 15 years, but yeah. they— Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been a pastor for 20. Yeah. They see two new churches planted every week Holy in the cow. middle of civil war. But you know what he was telling us was— wow. He was saying that, you know, one of the things that— that they know, and, and everywhere that we know this, AJ, and I know that you believe this, but I believe that at the heart of everything that we're saying today, because we're talking about a lot of facts and figures, and, mm-hmm. and you know, sometimes I, I get geeked out about this stuff, and maybe other people like you do. Maybe not everybody's geeked out about it, but I think that what it kind of boils down to is this. Without a prayer movement, there will never be a disciple-making movement. And that's one of the things that he and his wife reinforced to me, because they have 700 intercessory prayer groups among those churches that are meeting around the clock, <laughs> fasting wow. and praying. And he's he said that 70% of the churches that they plant are birthed out of miracles. Hmm. And a lot of the people they reach are Muslims. So wow. they're going in, somebody's very, very sick or blind or whatever, mm-hmm. they're being healed. But the, but the, the gifts have stopped. They've ceased. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we forgot to tell those people. <laughs> yeah, and God. <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's really, really interesting that, that you know, because they, they keep meticulous details because they have churches. Yeah. They have churches in, in Southern California. They have churches that are gifting them large amounts of money to see these movements happen in Ethiopia. So they, there's accountability there. Mm. And they chronicle that, you know, they're very detailed on what they do. 70% of those churches are coming out of miracles. And it just kind of reinforced to me that, you know what, above all things, it's great to know a lot of information, but honestly, we're going to have to really begin to pray like yeah. the early church prayed. Yeah, we say that, you know, it's like, but I, it's just, it's so true. Well, it starts, it's just having a prayer life. I mean, you could say the same thing just for a Christian. Like, yeah. just if, if you really want to start to see God's presence and power in your life, mm-hmm. start to get serious about diving into the Bible and and praying and spending time with God, yeah. devotional time with God, with other believers. You will start to see miracles yeah. happen around you. Well, it's you like will. you. You work out. You don't see the results in one day. It, it's a process of time. Thank you for your time. flattery. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's a process of time. And I think for us, for me, it's more than just saying pray. I think it's like... My thought process is thinking: How do you develop a culture of prayer? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so I think and this is early just, church stuff, by the way. Yeah, everything you're saying, I just I just want to say, it's Book of Acts stuff. It is. It's it's everything we see there. We see you know churches starting with miracles. Book of Acts, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, all the that, that's what happens but there. And they prayed for that, and they weren't ashamed to pray for that. 
But Pastor AJ, isn't the same Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Acts, isn't that yeah. same Holy Spirit sitting in this room with you and I right now? Amen. Amen. And if I'm going to give all his leadership. Can we not have what they had? Yeah. I'm going to give one little uh, plug for a book that you recommended to me that was transformational. And it was on this particular topic of, okay. of the gifts and mm-hmm. uh, surprised by the power of, of the spirit. Jack Deere. Dr. I think it's Jack Deere. Yes. Jack Deere. An incredible story. I will let you, uh, I'll let you read that book for yourself because it's, uh, it's, it's a great one on uh, the idea of continuationism mm-hmm. or basically that miracles mm-hmm. still happen, that there still yeah. is a gift of healing and so on. But uh, I thought kind of a fun way to end here because um, I just feel like you're a, you're a fount of knowledge and I know you, know you don't want me to say that kind of stuff about you, but I'm legitimately impressed by your, uh, by your knowledge and how you continually learn. Um, what book are you going to write? If you're going to write a book... If you're going to write a book now to the church, you've got one, you know, the, uh, John had his letters to the seven churches. Paul had his letters. If, if Pastor Graham's uh, going, to write a, going to write a book wow, today to the church, really what, what book are you question. going to write? What's the title of the book? That's a really hard question because I'm torn. I'm torn. A couple different options. What are you, uh, yeah, what are you I torn mean, between? I, a lot of what I'm being stirred up about is just what is church? And in the concept of, you know, if I say church to the average American, we automatically, our mind focuses on a building and a mm. steeple. And, and, but just to, to have a biblical understanding of what that really means. And honestly, if I sat in a room full of 20 pastors, I'd probably get 15 to 20 different definitions. And that's okay. I'm cool with that. But I mean, I think my heart's stirred to really want to see the authentic church emerge. The church that Jesus talked about that he was going to build that the gates of hell would not prevail against. Yeah, That would be one thing that I really, I don't know if I would do that because it would probably create a lot of controversy. Um, the other thing is that I just have a real burden to um, see people step into how they can um, discern and find their gifts and callings. Mm. And in particularly, even those situational gifts of the Spirit, because the gifts of the Spirit, they're not with you 24-7, so to speak, that you may have them continuously operate, but they're situational. You know, I can't study for a word of knowledge. It's a gift. I can study for knowledge, yeah. but when the word of knowledge comes, it's very situational. It's in the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm going to know something I could not otherwise Yeah, someone know. has that or they don't. It's, and, it's, uh, you, you can tell. You know, there's people that's, that uh, talk about it, and you can right. see God speaks to them about certain things or works through them in certain ways. That's not something right. you can fake. And there's, like, there's a plethora of books on that, so why would I write a book on it? Because I feel like the one thing I don't see sometimes is just to sort of you know, give people on-ramps into how they can step into it, that yeah. it doesn't have to be complex, Yeah, that God wants to use them in these things and that they're absolutely necessary yeah. for us to ever really be this healthy church and to be who we're supposed to be. Oh, that could be we it right there. All be Pastor Graham, you could yeah. have just said it, healthy church. Oh, there you, you know, go. Right there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I am going to confirm your calling <laughs> to write this book. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so thank you so much for coming on. I um, I, I admit I kind of baited you into my studio uh, because okay. I wanted to hear from you and I wanted yeah. my people to be blessed by your your words of wisdom and your spirit. And uh, would you would you want to close us in a word yeah, of prayer sure, and close sure. uh, close the peeps? Maybe pray for everybody listening out there. Yeah. Well, Lord, I just um, I thank you so much for Pastor AJ and just his heart. This guy, wow, he's he's just putting out content and. Um, 
Lord, I just bless him. I see in him, this is a guy who's willing to go in and mix it up. Some people are built for war and battle, and uh, they're not content just to sit on the sideline. And I see that in Pastor AJ, um, that he's not afraid to step into the ring and and represent you. Um, So I just pray continued blessing and grace on this ministry. I pray, Lord, that you continue to just cause this ministry to, to expand and have greater influence, Father God, that it would stretch further and further and become even more viral itself. Yes, Lord. And I pray for those who are listening, Lord, that if there's anything that you're doing right now in their life, Father, would you give them eyes to see what you're doing? Give them ears to hear what you're saying to them in this moment. And then give them the courage to join you in those places where you're already at work. Because, Lord... We don't generate the wind. We can't cause wind to come. We can only put the sails up and catch it. And it's the same with you, Lord. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. We don't generate your workings. You are moving. You are working at all times. Our job is to recognize where you're at work and then to partner with you in that. So help us to put up the sails of our heart to catch your wind, to be empowered by you, to join you in the work that you are doing where we live, work, eat and play in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Hey, Pastor Graham, thank you so much for joining us here. Everybody out there's, uh, <laughs> yeah, we love it. And I, I hope you were truly blessed by this. It was, I was, and, uh, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Appreciate it. And, uh, praying for you too. pray for, pray for the Phoenix underground. Yes, sir. And uh, look it up. Look it up online. What's what's the website again? PHXunderground.org. Right. Okay, love it. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, reach out with any questions. Comment on this uh, comment in this video. I'd love to hear from you. God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Peace out.